2: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to the New Books Network's Middle East Studies podcast. I'm Ruben Silverman, a researcher at Stockholm University's Institute for Turkish Studies. And with me today is Dr. Valentina Marcella, a researcher and lecturer in the Department of Asian, African, and Mediterranean Studies at University of Naples, Lorienthal. Today, we will be discussing her new book, Laughing Matters, Graphic Satire Reckoning with the 1980 Coup in Turkey which was published by Instituto per l'Oriente Carlo Alfonso Dallino in 2022. It is a carefully considered account of the popular Turkish humor magazine Gerber in 1980 to 1983, the most intense years of military rule that Turkey has experienced in the past century. So, the first thing I'd like to ask you about is yourself, and if you could tell us a little about yourself, your background, and how you got interested in these topics of humor magazines in Turkey during the 1980s, and what you think looking at these can teach us.
0: Yeah, um, first of all, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here and talk about my book with you today. Um, so I have a background in Middle Eastern and Turkish studies, and I am a historian by training. And as I moved to Turkey for study several years ago, basically it did not not Take long for me to realize that the military regime of the early 80s is one of the many unsolved chapters in Turkey's recent past, right? A chapter that has been uh, a point of no return in many ways and that affects also the present uh, to a large extent. And this book in particular originated from my desire to, to investigate new aspects of the military regime, which is called in Turkish on Ikir Dönemi, so the period of September 12, from the day in which uh, the military did stage the coup in 1980. So uh, this regime was one of the most authoritarian periods in the history of modern Turkey, with very little personal freedom and with a high number of victims of state violence. And one of the most infamous aspects of this regime was the violation of freedom of expression, including in the press and the media. And this was the actual starting point of my research, I would say, Uh, because I was interested in the possible existence of a press that was not aligned with the military government, not underground, where it is easier to imagine that critical publications became widespread, but rather in the mainstream. So in brief, I I asked myself if and how a culture of dissent would exist in Turkey's mainstream, in this uh, censoring and authoritarian context. And this question uh, this question identified graphic satire as the ideal research ground, because mm, I would say by nature, graphic satire moves along several crucial dichotomies. For example, it moves between farce and seriousness, between art and politics, between entertainment and denunciation or also between fiction and reality. And for these reasons, my hypothesis was that even under the military rule, satire was able to negotiate the boundaries of what was possible to say and what was not in the mainstream. So um, I began to investigate political cartoons in several newspapers and magazines of the time, and after a preliminary research, I decided to focus on Gyrgyr. The magazine, the weekly magazine, Gergur, was initially one case study among others, but soon became my main case study in the light of its extraordinary political engagement during the regime. And um, in Gürgür, I examined a, a sample of about uh, 12,000 cartoons. I focused on the themes, aesthetical features, uh, linguistic and rhetorical devices, and also stereotypes. And I carried out my research through visual sources, obviously the cartoons mainly, but also oral sources. So, most of, mostly political cartoons and interviews to people who are connected to the cartoon milieu in Turkey
2: in various ways. Well, so, this magazine, gürgür it's, as you say, it's an extraordinary magazine. It's... Uh... In the, in the history of Turkish cartooning, it had made a lot of important contributions. So maybe you can give us a better sense of the, the background of cartoons and cartooning in Turkey into which it came, and the reasons for why it made such an impact.
0: Uh, yes, I think I could perhaps start with a quote, a quote from Gerger itself. And the quote reads, a satirical magazine in its own way, or in Turkish, Kandi Halinde Bir Mesa So, Gurgur introduced itself to the readership with this self-definition when it started as a satirical magazine in the summer of 1972. And the launch of this magazine was the result, actually, of minor satirical spaces bearing the same name that had emerged in the previous months. In fact, uh, the origins of Gurgur date back to early 1971 when Ozeral, a well-known cartoonist who was already a well-established artist uh, active since the 1950s, when Ozeral was entrusted with a, with a satirical corner in the daily newspaper United, um, popular among the readership from the outset, this corner in the newspaper magazine United corner was already titled Gergüş was soon moved to another, another newspaper belonging to the same owner. This other newspaper was called Gül. Um, and here, it was upgraded to a full page that came to involve a wider team of cartoonists. So a page called Gurgur with Ouzaral, along with a team, a first team of cartoonists. This full page proved even more successful, prompting the decision to turn it into a supplement and within a few weeks into a standalone publication. So the first magazine issue was published in August 1972. And from that date onwards, Gerger was printed every week under the direction of Ozaral until 1989 and under a different ownership and different direction up until 2017. So, with its 45 years of activity, Gerger is actually one of the longest lasting um, satirical magazines in Turkey. And the history of Gerger is marked by a trajectory of success, we could say, from its early days until the second half of the 80s. In fact, in these 10 to 15 years, the magazine enjoyed growing popularity and a progressive increase in sales, with the number of distributed copies reaching a peak of half a million between 1982 and 1987, so in the period which is interested by my book, actually. Um, and from the very beginning, Gerger emerged as an original magazine that introduced several groundbreaking novelties in the well-established tr- tradition of Turkish satirical press. Uh, one innovation lies in its objective, that is, making satire popular and enjoyable for a wide public. In fact, we have to say that um, until then, Turkish satire had been a high form of art through which intellectuals uh, basically addressed each other. Actually, in the 1930s and 1940s, so in the first years and first two, three decades of the Republic of Turkey, cartoons were successful in relieving, for instance, the discomfort caused by the new alphabet. However, the reading public, back then, did not represent a large part of the population. Later on, in the 50s and 60s, a generation of artists, known in Turkish as ''Eli which translates literally as ''1950 generation'', introduced a new wave, a new wave of cartoons, marked by a strong political content and an abstract style that, willingly or not, distanced cartoons from the masses. With Gergur, in the early 70s, Ouz who also belonged to this generation, to the 1950 generation, moved away from this wave in order to restore the tie with the people and also to increase the public interest uh, in satire. And directly connected with this objective, we might say, was also Gergur's policy regarding the contents. In fact, initially, the pages of the magazine were filled with uh, erotic satire and sexually explicit jokes. Uh, this is testified above all by the typical, what we, we know in Turkey as the typical gurgur photomontage, uh, which are basically uh, black and white photos of naked women, in general actresses, models or showgirls of that time, on which the cartoonists used to draw comic characters that made funny jokes. Uh, while surrounding or also covering the female body, parts of the female body. Uh, The display of the naked female body actually was not a peculiarity of Gerger in those years. What was new, however, was the idea of resorting to this kind of eroticism to create humor. And I think it is also important to stress that the choice of sexuality as a core theme uh, may be in part ascribed to the fact that in the beginning only men contributed to the magazine, contributed to Gerger. But most importantly, it shall be ascribed in the political and cultural context in which the magazine was born. In particular, Gerger was launched during the military interregnum of the early 70s, which was characterized by mass arrest, imprisonment, and in many cases torture, not only of people involved in radical activities, but also students, academics, journalists and trade unionists who had allegedly embraced leftist ideologies. So in this, uh, let's say, forcibly a political environment, the mass media, the mass media as a site for the promotion and elaboration of cultural norms began to devote increasing attention to the lives of individuals, no longer seeing people as a part of a collective community right? And so under these circumstances, Gerger's policy to address ordinary people translated into portraying their faults and vices. Uh, But starting from the mid-70s, as political identities and debates re emerged in the public sphere, the magazine became increasingly concerned with social and political issues, and so sexual gags were progressively abandoned in favor of of a more critically engaged um, satire. Um, Gerger cartoons began to depict key issues of the time, such as workers' rights, for example, the education system, uh, unemployment, as well as, for example, the clash, so to say, between the modern city lifestyle and a more conservative rural culture, for instance. Um, And to a certain extent, by depicting the local world, this new satire, from the mid-70s onwards, did draw from its precursors of the 1930s and 1940s. Yet, uh, contrary to the latter, who focused primarily on the humorous representations of people's fault, Gerger pushed forward the interest in social aspects of people's existence. And these issues were accompanied by illustrations that targeted more specifically political issues, political leaders, uh, corruption, the deep state, and so on. So, on the eve of the 1980 coup, Gurgur had actually established itself as a magazine of social and uh, political
2: satire. I see. Well, so because the coup is such an important seminal event in Turkish uh, history. Maybe we can talk about it just for a second before coming back to how Gerger uh, reacted. Um, Why was the coup considered so harsh? There'd been coups in 1960 and 1971. What was it about the 1981 that makes it so notable?
0: Yes, you're right. Um, Since the foundation of the Republic in 1923, Turkey had already experienced two military interventions, as you said, one in 1960 and the other one in 1971. And each of these two interventions uh, paved the way for a short phase of military supervised government. However, uh, the seizure of power of 1980 was different in many respects, I would say. Uh, Above all, this time all political parties were outlawed And the military took direct control of the state governing for three years. And we might say that the goal was ambitious, the goal of the military was ambitious and aimed at the long term. In fact, um, the encompassing objective was to radically reshape the country by reforming uh, the political system, the institutions and, not least, society as a whole. And this radical transformation was going to be enacted according to a conservative and centralized model, which is uh, what happened, actually. In parallel, I think it is worth uh, stressing that the army in the early 80s never sought to gain the support of the population. On the contrary, they established a highly repressive and authoritarian regime. In fact, I believe that it is no coincidence and it is worth Uh, mentioning uh, at this point that when elections were held in 1983, after three years of regime, the party that was supported by the military junta obtained the lowest numbers of votes. So this electoral outcome somehow shows quite clearly that civil society was willingly to sever all ties with the military uh, regime. Uh, But despite that, we also need to stress that The legacy of the regime was, and has remained, strong. Uh, The military did actually manage to reform the institution radically. Uh, They created new bodies, and they reformed existing ones, for example, by placing carefully chosen individuals in charge. And in addition, the constitution that was promulgated under their rule in 1982 allowed the presence of the military in politics even after the return to parliamentary democracy. And this was possible in particular in two ways. The first is that the constitution, the 1982 constitution, made the head of the military junta, General Kenan Evren, president of the republic for a seven-year mandate. So he remained in the political arena until 1989. And the second is that the constitution granted him, along with the other generals who were involved in the coup, Uh, immunity from prosecution. As a consequence of this legacy, public criticism and public debate concerning the years of the regime remained to a large extent a taboo, a taboo in the political arena and the public opinion for decades. Um, For example, I would say that the most evident sign of this trend, of this absence, is the lack of a serious investigation into the abuses of power of the regime. In fact, for years, for decades, the absence of a serious inquiry allowed former junta members to simply deny, to simply deny responsibility in the cases of torture of political prisoners, as well as in the cases of, let's say, desaparecidos that were recorded under their rule. Uh, but perhaps we should also add that in the last decade, this trend has begun to change, and the silence surrounding the political responsibilities of the military has been broken uh, at official level. For instance, um, a national referendum in 2010 led to the adoption of a package of amendments to the 1982 constitution, which also lifted the immunity that had protected the generals who were consequently tried for crimes against the state.
2: So, I mean, as you're suggesting, there has been this increasing attention or uh, renewed focus on the crimes of the period. But I do think in a lot of the writing on the coup there's this general sense, especially in sort of broad summaries of Turkey, that the years of the military rule from 80 to 83 were very depoliticized. People couldn't say anything. There was no resistance one could point to. But what you're showing in your book is that during these years, we can see criticism and resistance in places like Gürger. So uh, maybe we can talk through some of these. In the book, you discuss a number of the different strategies with which Gürger dissents and sometimes even challenges the coup and offers maybe even a different vision of what Turkey should be like. So maybe we can talk about a few of these examples of how Gürger Um, challenge regime, involved the public, brought attention to prisoners during these years.
0: Yes, um, Gürgür introduced in Turkey a practice that became widespread and that to some extent also survives uh, today. And here I am referring to the practice of publishing illustrations made by amateur cartoonists in addition to the illustrations realized by professional cartoonists. This is a practice that uh, Gerger introduced in the mid 70s, actually, so before the regime, but that became increasingly important after the 1980 coup, uh, precisely because of the new political climate. Um, The mechanism of publication of the amateur cartoons is quite interesting. Um, um, It developed mainly in three major steps. So first, Anyone, so potentially any reader, any Gürgür fan from all over Turkey and also from beyond, uh, because Gürgür was being read and followed also by the Turkish diaspora in all over Europe in particular. So anyone could send their own cartoons to the headquarters of Gürgür by mail, by post. Then they began to receive feedbacks from the staff of Gürgür, so starting an actual correspondence. And finally, when their level improved, their amateur illustrations were published in the magazine. Uh, there were two specific spaces in de devoted to, to these non-professional cartoonists. There was a column for, for actual beginners and a full page of cartoons uh, made by amateur who were at a sort of intermediate level between the actual beginners and the professional cartoonists. Um, and all these cartoons, all these amateur and semi, in between amateur and, and professional, they were all published along with the name, the surname, and the city of origin of the authors. And in the case of big cities, of authors living in big cities, sometimes we find also the neighborhood or the district uh, in which they were living, or from which they were drawing. And... Um, as I argue in the book, this practice introduced by Gerger is politically relevant because it provided potentially anyone, right, potentially anyone, with a chance to publicly express themselves, to share their own perception of life under the military rule, and eventually to make their descent uh, manifest. And also, these amateur cartoons contributed significantly to going beyond what I call a mainly Istanbul-centric uh, point of view of the regular cartoons because Gurgur was published in Istanbul like many other, like most of the other uh, satirical magazines and most of the press uh, so its regular staff lived in Istanbul and drew from Istanbul. Conversely, the amateur cartoons offer the glimpse of the political climate and perception uh, in other parts of Turkey. Now, during, during the military regime Uh, political prisoners began to send their cartoons as well, hoping that Gerger would publish them, becoming in this way a space for communication uh, between them and the world outside. And actually they were right, because Gerger started to encourage and help these prisoners in a number of ways. For instance, um, the staff of Gerger began to send drawing material to the prisoners, then they had correspondence with them in order to follow the improvements, in a way similar to the one that we just mentioned for the, for the actual amateur cartoonists. And in the end, they published their cartoons together with the other non-professional ones. So in the same two spaces uh, that I already mentioned. Um, it is important to stress, I think, that the prison cartoons were published with the name and surname of their authors, like the other non-professional cartoons, but instead of the city of origin, the name of the prison or of the detention center was displayed. So inside Gruger, these cartoons from prison were absolutely not anonymous. Uh, As you may expect, uh, communication between the prisoners and the magazine was extremely difficult. Uh, Most of the times, the cartoons were, for example, they were scribbled on small pieces of paper and they were then smuggled outside jail. So they were clandestine in many ways. But in the end, Gerger managed to establish contact with about 80 prisoners and publish their cartoons, in some cases also regularly, or anyway, more than once. Uh, From the point of view of these political prisoners, Gerger's commitment to publishing their work meant an opportunity to, I argue, an opportunity to prove to the outside world and themselves that they were still alive and to become, or to remain, politically engaged against the regime despite the fact that their political activity or sometimes their mere political interest was precisely why they had been uh, arrested in the the first place. Mm, I should also clarify that the average number of published prison cartoons was two per week, two per issue, which is not much. But anyway, the editor of Gergur, Ouzaral, was well aware of the importance of these cartoons. So he decided to, to set up an exhibition entirely dedicated to them. Predictably, Ouzaral did not succeed in opening the exhibition during the regime, but he did afterwards. So the exhibition was opened three years later, in 1986, first in Istanbul and then in Ankara, and was reported as a great success uh, in
1: both cities. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: Yeah, I mean I found that fascinating. I had not heard of that until I read the book, and it was one of the things that particularly shocked me to learn about. Um, I guess one of the other ways, though, in addition to these prison cartoons that you argue that Burger is challenging the regime is the way it's depicting... Uh, officials of the regime, not the military leadership, but some of the civilian officials who are overseeing the the government. Uh, so maybe you can give an example or two of these civilian officials whom uh, Gerger is picking on.
0: Yeah. Um, in fact, the publication of cartoons made by non-professional cartoonists and by political prisoners, which I just mentioned, may be deemed uh, only two of the strategies of Gerger. Uh, during the military regime, two strategies that concern the authorship. But obviously, the content of the cartoons is also uh, quite crucial. Um, I would like to add also that in this respect, concerning the content, um, we may claim that under the regime, Kürger dealt with a very, very wide range of topics that could imply criticism of the government in different ways and also at various extents. But in particular, three trends emerge as straightforward attacks uh, on the army in power. And one of these trends uh, is the one that you just mentioned, questions the military in their self-attached technocratic responsibility. So the military as political leaders of the country, the military as rulers, actually. And these are caricatures in the most traditional understanding of the term. In other words, portraits that... Uh, denounce the dishonest intentions of their subjects by means of verbal exaggerations and physical distortion. And uh, we may claim that the main targets uh, of this trend are the civil officers whom the military had invested with important political duties. In particular, the Minister of Finances, Turgut uh, then the man in charge of drafting the 1982 constitution, which we just mentioned, Oran al was his name, and also Yisan um, Dona who was the president of the newly founded Council of Higher Education, York in Turkish. Uh, perhaps I can mention a couple of examples here. Um, a caricature, for example, a caricature uh, portraying Turgut Özal, in which we see Özal um, standing in the middle of the street portrayed as gigantic compared to other people who are walking by. But the most important feature in this cartoon is that uh, one hand and one arm of Turbot Özal are extremely small and short, while the other hand and the other arm are extremely big and long. Why so? Why so? It's the comment of another character in the cartoon that helps us understand what's going on in this cartoon, because this man standing next to Azal looks at him and comments, I quote, one is the hand that gives, the other is the one that takes back. And here the reference is to a a decision that was made um, in the days in which this cartoon was published about a salary rise that was decided and also announced together with the increase in the prices of consumer goods. So giving, apparently giving, but also taking back at the same time. Um, Another example that I will try to to comment on, even though it is never easy to um, comment on cartoons without showing them, uh, concerns uh, Isando Ramadze, so the, the founder, the, the, the president of the newly founded Council of Higher Education. Um, in a cartoon, we see him bursting into a hospital and in particular into a surgery room in which uh, a patient is laying on a bed um, and a doctor is about to perform a surgery on him. Uh, Isando Ramadzeh points the finger at this doctor saying that or actually, ordering him to um, stop the surgery immediately because his degree, his doctoral degree, sorry, his doctor degree is no longer valid, um, so he cannot perform his profession as a doctor anymore. And even more, he even asks him to find his patients, his previous patients that uh, he has made, um, he has cured in the past, to make them. Ill again. Why? Because his degree is no longer valid. Why is it no longer valid? Because now the yoke, so this council of higher education, has changed uh, the rules and criteria, so the the past doesn't count anymore. This is, of course, an absurd scene, but um, what makes it even more absurd is that uh, Isando Amazel himself was a doctor by training. So there is an implicit indirect self-criticism and self-delegitimization uh, concerning his own profession and what brought him to the status of a, um, of a mm, president of this newly founded Council of Higher Education. So these are just a couple of examples to to say that uh, by depicting these civil officers, Gerger was also implicitly pointing the finger at the architects of the financial reforms, or of the new constitution, or of the new Council of Higher Education, namely the military. And this trend is important as it proves that Virgil was not giving up its traditional satirical line, so its authors, the cartoonists, were not afraid of the new climate of terror brought by uh, the regime.
2: You know, an interesting side point you, you make, uh... in in your discussion is uh, Ozal, at least uh, initially, he kind of liked these cartoons, right? Or uh, how how did he react to them?
0: Yes. um, Legend says, uh, but it's not just a legend actually, um, that he was even a son of Gurgur and that he even uh, visited the headquarters of Gurgur on some occasions. And also that he he was very pleased when at different times uh, different cartoonists paid homage to him by giving him caricatures about himself. But things changed during the 1980s, actually. And this is something that goes beyond uh, the three years of military rule, but has more to do with um, always at all becoming prime minister after 1983, and especially since the mid-80s, in second half of the mid-80s, Becoming less and less tolerant about criticism himself, uh, in general, as a as a political uh, stand and as a political position, which came also to affect his um, take and his opinion and reactions to cartoons.
2: Yeah, no, I, I found that um, that aspect of it interesting as well. But so we we have. We're focusing on these civilian officials, specific, with specific officials, with specific imagery of specific people. But then what of the military more generally? How is the military presented when it's presented during these years?
0: Um, yes, another content-related strategy that I point out in my book, uh, Concerning Gurgur in the Years of the Regime, consists, in fact, of cartoons that mock the military, uh in more general terms. So uh, it makes fun of the military as men in uniform, either in the barracks or at war. And in particular, these cartoons belong to a single strip that was made by one cartoonist. Uh, his name is Behitsvek. Uh, this strip was titled Biraz that we could translate as mm, Let's Fight a Little Bit or also And Now Let's Fight. And every week, uh, this uh al Street presented two to five absurd scenes in which soldiers emerged as, um, for instance, fearful or childish or dishonest and we could also say not particularly uh, smart or clever. Um, these are soldiers in general, so there is no specific portrait of a single um, public figure in uniform but it's a general portrait and here too i could mention perhaps uh, a couple of examples uh, for example there is one of these uh, cartoons by the Beck in which a young soldier has clearly just started his military service and he is afraid of driving a tank he has to drive a tank and he's afraid of turning upside down so what he did was to put some small wheels on the side of the tank, like those small wheels that we use to, to put on children's bicycles uh, when they learn to, to drive a bike. And so in this scene, we see him fearfully trying to move on with his tank and a higher officer realizes what's going on and gets very upset. Uh, or another example that I could mention... Uh, portrays a training, training um, in which two young soldiers are put face to face with the enemy with a with a potential enemy, um, and they have to follow instructions. But rather than fighting or fighting back, both of them run away scared. And again, the higher officer who is training them gets quite upset. Um, a third, And last example that I could mention briefly is the one of of two soldiers flying in a helicopter, perhaps, or maybe it is an airplane. We don't know exactly. And the reason why uh, we cannot tell is that this vehicle is melting. And it is melting because the pilot has been driving too close to a volcano without realizing that the heat would melt uh, this vehicle. So now they are uh, in danger. So, this strip, this Birasa-Sevastadam strip, was created in 1980, so on the year of the coup, and it it began to be published on the same page as another military cartoon. In this case, uh, I am referring to a cartoon that was not created by a good, good cartoonist, but rather it was imported and translated. In fact, I'm talking about Beetle Bailey, we, which is a famous American cartoon created by U.S. cartoonist Mort, Mort Walker, and that was published in the International Herald Tribune since 1950. Beetle Bailey was published in Gerger since the early 70s under the title uh, Husby Tembeler, and despite its uh, very strong American identity, it shares some common features with the Turkish script by Behiçbek, Birazda Savasyelem, um, suffice to say that um, the second word of the Turkish name, Hazbe Tembeler, so Tembeler, translates as lazy soldier. So when Behiçpek created Birazda Savasyelem, the two strips were published on the same page, coming to create uh, a sort of military corner, as we might call it, inside Gurkür, and altogether Every week, this military cartoon corner basically repeatedly denied the efficiency and bravery upon which the armed forces traditionally build their glorious image, especially in Turkey. So ultimately, this corner highlighted and contributed to the failure of the military in power in Turkey to earn respect and credibility.
2: And also, I mean, some of the cartoons you show uh, emphasize the uh, the kind of irrational, la- loud uh, aspect of the commanding officers, too, always shouting, uh, impossible to follow commands and things like that, too. So at least in that way.
0: Yeah, they're very funny and ridiculous and building upon the absurd. The absurd is a crucial element of this, of all these cartoons of Gurgaon in general, especially in those years.
2: Indeed. Well, so I think we should focus then on the, fi- the final major aspect you emphasize which, through which Gerger critiques uh, the years, and that's its depiction of violence and torture and incarceration. So maybe you could give some examples and talk us through uh, how these things are depicted in Gerger during these years.
0: Yes, uh, indeed. This aspect is also quite present in Gerger. Uh, we may well say that it is the most surprising Um, In fact, in the years of the regime, we find in Gerger a huge corpus of cartoons that explicitly refer to state violence and repression. In particular, these cartoons insist on one experience, which is the prison experience that became so common to thousands of citizens uh, under the military rule. And the nuances and the details portrayed in these cartoons are so rich and so many that I was able to trace a sort of uh, step-by-step trajectory uh, in my book um, from the moment of the arrest to the release, in the best case. Um, These cartoons portray several aspects of of the prison experience. For example, they denounce the randomness of mass imprisonment, the precarious hygienic conditions in jail or the monotony of daily life, but also uh, the activities that inmates try to carry on in order to survive and resist to this monotony. Uh, There are also several cartoons that portray the moments that interrupt this monotony, like interrogations, which imply violence and torture. Um, Some cartoons also convey an idea of hopelessness, but many more, actually, uh, reflect on the trauma of this experience, a trauma that will never allow these inmates or former inmates uh, to have an ordinary life again. Um, the most relevant aspect of these uh, prison cartoons, as I call them in the book, is that for the most part, they were made by prisoners themselves. I mean, those prisoners that we mentioned early on, those political prisoners who turned to Gerger to express themselves Uh, through the cartoons. My point here is that by making these cartoons, these prisoners chose to react against the the depolitization and silence that the military was trying to impose over them. Because the mere decision to make these cartoons was itself a challenge to power, right? As it proved that their authors did not fear repression, even though they were in jail. And we should also recall that Death penalty still existed at that time in Turkey, so the position of these prisoners was extremely delicate. In addition, um, the decision to send these cartoons to Gurgur for publication was a further act of resistance that marked the engagement of these cartoonists in a struggle that was explicitly against the regime. because once a cartoon reached the headquarters of Gurgur, it was likely to be published. And when it was published, the prisoner's struggle ceased to be confined to the prison cell to gain a new collective dimension. And two details are crucial here. Uh, the first is that under the military rule, Gerger became the best-selling weekly magazine in the country. And so not only among satirical magazines, but among weekly magazines in general. So the readership that these cartoons could reach was absolutely uh, wide And the second detail, which I already mentioned actually, is that these cartoons were published along with the name, surname, and the name of the prison where the oversource were detained. These pieces of information were a statement actually, a statement that, for example, ha- allowed the reader to immediately recognize these cartoons as something different from the other illustrations that they could find in, in the magazine. Because through these details, name, surname, and prison, the reader knew that these cartoons were not fictional and were not there only to entertain. On the contrary, they were based on first-hand experience and they stood as witnesses of Jane reality. Um, Perhaps I should add a couple of words about the exhibition that I only briefly mentioned before. Uh, I mean, the prison cartoon exhibition that... Uh, Ouz Aral was able to organize only uh, in 1986, three years after the regime. Um, Many prisoners cartoonists, I mean, many political prisoners who were drawing cartoons for girl were still in jail in 1986. So Ouz Aral organized this exhibition in such a way that the entrance would be free of charge and the relatives of the prisoners whose cartoons were displayed were there in the exhibition rooms to sell homemade products to help cover the legal fees. So we can say that the exhibition took the struggle of these prisoners to a new level, also involving different actors. And then the exhibition catalogue, which was also published in 1986, so along with the opening of the exhibition, uh, actually a bit later, right after the exhibition, uh, the exhibition catalog also contributed to inscribe these prisoners and their struggle in the collective memory of the country systematically, for sure, and we could also say uh, forever. And this is one of the reasons why we can talk about this exhibition uh, 40 years later, mainly thanks to this uh, exhibition catalog. So overall, the prison cartoons represent an incredible attempt to uh, challenge the official discourse, reframe political resistance, and also define new forms of freedom, notwithstanding the physical confinement of their authors.
2: I think the strength of the book is just, is the way that you highlight this event, which I was I was not familiar with, even as someone who likes to think they know something about the period. So I, I learned a lot from it, and um, I think readers will learn a lot from it, and um, as you say, since we are talking about imagery, it'll be good for people to actually go and see the book, see the images that you've selected and that you're describing, the ones you've talked about, and other ones that you include as well. But the last thing I want to ask, then, is with this book done and published, what sort of topics are you looking at now? What are you thinking about now? Um,
0: Mainly, uh, for the moment, I keep working on the history of cartoons, uh, cartoons and satire in Turkey, which uh, somehow go hand in hand. Um, And at the moment, I am developing two main research paths. Uh, One concerns the relation between satire and power in Turkey in the in the new millennium and in particular i am focusing or exploring at this stage uh, how comic books rather than satirical magazines are increasingly asserting themselves as sites for critical thinking for contestation uh, and for resistance under erdogan's rule and my other research project is meant to develop um, a transnational history of cartoons in which I explore how the cartoon world has fostered artistic, but also intellectual and political exchange in post-World War II Europe, with particular emphasis on the exchange uh, revolving around cartoonists from Turkey. And at the moment, I am focusing on one part of the second project, um, particularly on the relations between Turkey and Italy uh, in this domain, But other trajectories appear to be promising as well.
2: Well, I mean, all of that sounds very good. And I mean, as as anyone who knows a little bit about Turkey is aware, cartoons are a very central part of uh, the political culture, I guess we can say. So this book is really valuable contribution to helping us understand that in recent history. So I I very much enjoyed it. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us. And I look forward to looking at those new projects when they come
0: along. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.